In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. In the beginning, seems like an odd passage to celebrate the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. But every time I read this passage, I'm caught by the verse, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Somehow it gives me peace and just the understanding that God is always there. But I'm reminded of the imagery that uh, God used in Deuteronomy when Moses was giving the, the Israelites the law the second time, because this was a whole new batch, and we don't have time to talk about that. But it's, he says, like an eagle that stirs up its nests and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. It reminds me, I had a friend a long time ago, his name was Art Johnson. And Art Johnson was, was a missionary to the Navajo Indian Nation in Oklahoma. And the Navajos taught Art a great deal about eagles. And he told this story to me. He said, there was a, when, when he was there, he said, when in the spring, when, it, when eagles have eaglets, they make a, they make their nests right on the edge. They don't go, they don't hide it in the, in the trees or in the woods. They put it right up on the precipice so that everybody can see them. And he said, what they do is that it's big. It's sometimes they're, they found them that they're 10 to 12 feet in diameter with a little runway. <laughs> and so the eagles come and so to prepare the nest for the young, they go and they get furs sable, mink, and then they line the nest with those to make it comfortable for the new eaglets. And then when it's, and then they have toys. They, they find, they found Clorox bottles, they found golf balls. Have you ever been playing golf and you said, well, eagle stole my ball. Well, that's what happens. But so when the eaglets are born and they're there and they're having a wonderful time in the, the cushy place to live after a while when it's time for them to learn to fly and to go out on their own the eagles do an interesting thing first they throw out all the toys then they throw out all the furs and this is where the Navajo comes in because they're standing at the bottom waiting for those and they clean those up and sell them they're good businessmen but so what happens is is the, the eagles especially the mother will take one of the eaglets and go up and will drop him or her and because they want them to fly. And the eagle hovers over the eaglet and if he can't fly, she swoops down and grabs him again and, and then they start this process again. Listen to the verse. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. When I ponder creation, as we read in this morning, I think of the intricate order in which God used to put it all together. Like creation, there is an order for everything. I don't think of creation and ask the question, how long did it take God to do it? I look at the order in which he did it. For example, he didn't make 
the plants and then make the light. He made the light first. And when he created man and woman, he created them to be able to be unique beings, having, being able to communicate with him. No other part of creation can claim that distinction or that privilege. It isn't important how long it took to create the world, as far as I'm concerned, whether a few days or a few billion years. The important piece of the puzzle is that God created it just like he wanted it. Which leads me to John the Baptist. Now we follow John through this season of Advent. We've seen him, his birth announced to his father Zechariah that he would, uh, he would have a son in his old age. And we see that John came into to, to the wilderness to proclaim the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. And people flocked to him for all over the region, to the Jordan River, to be baptized for the repentance of their sin. So today we celebrate that baptism when Jesus came to John. When I helped with the confirmation classes with the, with the kids from here, I would always ask them, uh, we would have a session in here, and we would talk about baptism and Eucharist. But I would say, tell me about your baptism. Tell me what you remember. Of course, they don't remember anything because most of them were, were babies, like we're going to do this morning. I grew up with my mom, and we lived with my grandfather in Atlanta. When I was 12 years old, my grandfather and I were going to a little Methodist church there in Atlanta. And on one Sunday, my Sunday school teacher came to me and said, it's time for you to be baptized. You're 12 years old. So, you know, she was always right. So I said, okay. We didn't have a confirmation class. We didn't have something that would tell us what we're doing. We just came on that Sunday morning, which was Easter Sunday, by the way, and we were baptized. Now, ask me what I remember about that experience. And I'll tell you, other than what I had on, not very much. And I know you're dying to know what I wore that day, which was so important. I wore a white sport coat and a pink carnation. No, actually it was a red carnation. But the fact is that, that I don't remember anything that occurred that day other than the actual event. So what's the big deal about baptism? Why is it important? Why did Jesus come to John today? You know, when I was baptized, there was no descending dove, no voice from heaven. It bothered me for a long time that I, don't, I didn't have a clue what happened and I kept saying to myself, you know, if I didn't feel anything, did it really happen? So when I was older, I did a search just to see what baptism was all about. I remember I was baptized when I was 12. Well, at 27, I had a very big spiritual event. I made a conscious decision to ask Jesus Christ to come into my life. And I was asked at that time, do you want to be baptized? I said, no, I don't need to be baptized. I've already been baptized 15 years ago. In my exhaustive search, I discovered that baptism is the initiation into the life of a believer. It is a statement that that person makes to tell the world that he or she is a believer in
in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that he died for their sins, and they were inviting him into their life to be their Savior and their Lord. The ceremony that we do and that we'll do this morning to perform the baptism is a celebration of that event, of that personal event. It's all about becoming part of something very special, a great family, the family of God. And it's becoming one with each other. While you're listening to me, I want to remember that we're talking about order here. We're talking about the order that God created in creation and how it still goes on, even with the eagles. By standing up and proclaiming our acceptance of Christ, we are joined to Him and we are joined to each other. And that changes us forever. Clint said last week in his sermon, we become God's beloved. Remember that? And His favor rests upon us. Because we're His then. Not because of anything that we have accomplished in our own right, but by the grace of a loving Father and the order He has established. He receives us just as we are. In the baptism we'll celebrate this morning, there's nothing magical about the water. It is a symbol of cleansing, of forgiveness that we receive when Christ comes into our life. It's not about the amount of water or, or whether a person is sprinkled or dunked. It's the statement that the person makes or the family makes on behalf of a child as it will be this morning. It makes the statement that the world, to, to the world, that God is officially in my presence, that he's officially in my life. Baptism, like Eucharist, is what the church calls a sacrament, a sacred moment. A sacrament is the outward sign of what is taking place inside. It is literally a change of heart as we invite God into our life. When we do, the Holy Spirit comes to take residence there. Most times, there's no fanfare, there's no pyrotechnics, simply the uh, simple assurance of faith that what God has promised, He's fulfilled. As we look at Mark's Gospel today, we see Jesus coming to John the Baptist to be baptized in the Jordan River. Of course, we would probably ask the same question that John did. He knew Jesus. And when Jesus came to him to be baptized, he said, wait a minute, this is not right. You need to, to be, I need to be baptized by you. Not the other way around. But again, we go back to God's order. It's important. On our pilgrimages to the Holy Land, one of the events that we look forward to most is offering people the opportunity to renew their baptism in the Jordan River or the Sea of Galilee, which is the same body of water. One of the places we stay is right on the south shore of the Sea of Galilee. And early one morning, we'll get up, and whoever wants to go, we'll take that trek down to those shallow waters, and we'll wade in. And if anybody wants to, they'll be either sprinkled or dunked. It's always an emotional encounter with each other, and especially with God. 
There's never been a dove descending or never, I never heard thunder or a, or a voice from heaven. But we are telling the world that we are believers in Jesus Christ. And I believe God is pleased. I was thinking, Evelyn asked what, what was, what was uh, emotional about that. And I said, you know, I think when I do, the, anytime I do a baptism, I think of my, I have four grandchildren. I've been able to have the privilege to, to baptize each one of them. And each of those were obviously special events. But the question remains, why did Jesus need to be baptized by John the Baptist? I believe that everything we do is in part of God's order. We see this event in the three Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We, you've probably heard me say that if I see something in Scripture, it's important. If I see it multiple times, it's very important. Matthew and Luke give a much more detailed explanation of this event, but all of them give the same important element. As soon as Jesus comes into out of the water, the Spirit of God comes upon him. And then there's a voice from heaven acknowledging that truly this is the Son of God. And he is very pleased. His ministry, Jesus' ministry, started right there. Now that's not when he became God. He's always been all fully God and fully man. But the important fact here is that the Holy Spirit came on him in his baptism just like the Holy Spirit comes on you and me in our baptisms. And when he comes, we, we are believers, and he gives us the power and the wisdom to live our life. This is the second reason why I think Jesus needed to be baptized by John as an example for each of us that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an example of the power that we have in the Spirit. Because if you follow this reading on, Jesus is driven or compelled to go into the wilderness at this point and to face the devil for 40 days. And with the power of the Spirit, he does it. The example of the power we have is when we, when we see in Zechariah 4.6, when God says, when, when Zechariah says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God's created order tells us that human strength and intelligence and will are not enough. And they're not sufficient to accomplish the work that God has for us on earth. However, God has made available his wisdom, his power, his strength to accomplish what he's called us to do, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The power of God resides in anyone who invites Jesus Christ into his or her life, and it is power. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Think about that. If you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, you have that power of the Spirit in you. And as we begin this new year, it's an opportunity for us. And I want you to trust that power within you.
to trust our God, to allow you to follow him in ways that you've never thought about following him before. Amen.